Oh, you're exhibiting. Ooh. Well, you must have a lot of money. Wait, the action costs. Oh, I have to supply the money. <laughs> well, of course oh, I got to pay. I mean, <laughs> oh, I have to supply the money. That's a good idea. Where's the money? Ah. Uh, Put it on my hilarious. tab. Uh, that's hilarious. All right, I got the coin. Supply that money, Sonny. Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we deal the cards in search of a meat-free jackpot in Las Vegan. Next up, we build the finest collection of artwork for the world to admire in Art Deco. And lastly, we're thieves under cover of darkness, attempting daring heists in Sticky Fingers. I'm your host, Celeste Angeles, here with my fellow intrepid game explorers, Evan Bernstein. Hello, everyone. Ed Povolitis. Hi, guys. And Mike Grenier. I'm GGG. <laughs> Our first game up this week is Las Vegan, designed by Baptiste Laurent, Quarantin Lebrot, and Ludovic Moblanc. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder hmm. what country that could be from. <laughs> Published by KYF Edition in 2022. Number of players, 2 to 5. Ages 10 and up. Playtime, 30 minutes. Okay, Mikey. Tell us, what's in the yummy, yummy box? The cover shows a makeshift wooden slot machine, whose rewards seem to be endless bushels of assorted veggies. Inside, you'll find 40 numbered cards, 12 cabbage machine cards, 4 double-sided casino tokens, a golden cabbage machine card, a double-sided golden casino token, and 75 cabbages. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game is fresh or rotten, Evan, steam us up some rules. Las Vegan is a trick-taking card game in which you try to preserve your precious cabbages. The goal is to manage your hand of cards correctly, to lose your coins as slowly as possible. Cards in four colors numbered 0 through 9 are dealt to players. The first player lays down any card from their hand. The other players have to play cards of the same color if they have them. The highest value wins the deal. If they don't have that color, they can discard a card of another color or play a 0 from another color to win the deal. When all the cards have been played, the round is over, and it's time to score. Certain coin and card combinations will score points and a chance to spin the wheel to earn more coins. The game ends at the end of the fourth round, or when a player has lost all their coins. The one with the most coins wins the game! Viva Las Vegan! Viva Las Viva. Vegan! Yeah. Well, goes. I first want to talk about the art. Are there enough vegetables on these cards? That's a good question. I mean, I guess it depends on your opinion on vegetables. I mean, I think there's just enough here. Uh, and oh, I'm not God. talking about what's appropriate for your yeah. dinner. I'm talking about what's appropriate for a game called Lost Vegan. Should um, there be more vegetables, guys? The numbers are huge, but the broccoli is tiny. Yeah, the size of the of the artwork, of the drawings, of the pictures, of the vegetables are on the small side, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. It's a shame, too, because they had, you know the playing card kind of look to them. So you could have had the entire background be the specific vegetable that the card was representing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I appreciate that the numbers weren't just printed on there like a type font. These are all drawn numbers. Everything is sketch art with nice colors and everything. So I appreciate that at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely looks like there was some thought uh, in the design here. And I think all the numbers look like they're supposed to be on a rolling slot machine. Sort of. You kind of win the right to spin the wheel, which you don't really spin. I mean, there's cards there and they have specific values that they're looking for. Um, But it's cool because they are random each turn, depending on which cards you flip. That is fun. So, Ed, it's a trick-taking game. We love trick-taking games. I do love trick-taking games. And this one's a little bit different in that um, the the O's and the 7s have an an odd amount of power to them. Yeah, it's not just like the typical trick-taking game where you can play an off-suit trump when you're out of that suit and take the trick. There's certain cards you can take tricks with um, when they're off-suit and when you're out of the suit. It's like a Trump Trump, or those are the Trumps? Well, the only one that's really Trump in that way is an off-suit zero. Mm-hmm. Off-suit zero, right? Yep, exactly. There's not like a single suit that's all Trump. It's just any off-suit zero is Trump when you don't have any of that suit left. Is Yeah, that is weird. Like, who decided <laughs> yeah. zero would be the powerful card? Well, oh. I think that it makes sense that zero is powerful in this game because a lot of times you're trying not to take a trick or to get uh, value out of certain tricks, you know. That's for certain. That's for certain. This game is about lowering the value of certain numbers and certain groupings or vegetables or colors and then forcing your opponents to take <laughs> those lower value scores and drain their coins from them. I mean, it really is a, uh, a backstabby type yeah, of it, it, trick-taking very game. much negging people in this game. Right. <laughs> exactly. So is that supposed to sort of represent weight loss or something that would result <laughs> from being a deterioration yeah yeah, yeah right. <laughs> loss of bone muscle mass yeah i mean it could have been it could have been viva los veggie instead because there's not like vegan prepared meals here it's just a couple raw vegetables that's it like you know yeah uh, there's yeah the vegan word does not really inform the play at all it's not tied to it you know they're vegetables i think veggie would have been a better choice but i get it vegan you only have to replace one of the letters veggie kind of a stretch the plays that you can make each turn become more disastrous than making a bad mistake in bridge (laughs) because yeah it's it gets really bad because as you score certain tricks any trick with a seven in it basically you get to choose what the value of certain conditions are in the turn so like fives could be worth negative five points each if you have fives in the tricks that you took and then you're losing tons of points three for each five that you've already gotten Mm -hmm. and future fives so and you can't peek and you can't peek at what's been played you can't you can (laughs) you can only reveal it at the end it's oh Mm -hmm. my gosh fives are now worth Minus three coins each. Did I take one five or three fives? I might be really in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really brutal. Yeah. I mean, and also there's always the golden one, which is, you know, whether you take the most tricks or the least tricks. Mm-hmm. And that's often a really big negative. So it's like, oh, do I want to? Yeah. No, it's like, oh, somebody put a big on uh, winning the most tricks. So I'm going to actually duck every trick I can. Oh, yeah. And, so, and yeah. sometimes people won't even play that that uh, coin right away so you're not sure if taking the most tricks or the least tricks is bad ah uh. <laughs> right because it's not until somebody wins a trick with a seven 
uh, that they get to pick one of those those powers. Right. They mm. choose which one goes off. So you know, let's say I've only taken you know I've only taken the one trick with the seven, and everything else is already gone. I'll be like, well, I guess whoever took the most tricks is in trouble, not me. <laughs> and you can see why you would want to hold on to your sevens as long as possible, <laughs> because yeah. they they can be valuable. You control the negative amounts into which numbers they get assigned. So when they come out later in the hand, later in the game, in the in the process, so many cards have already been taken. It is actually kind of important to remember not only what cards you have, but what your opponents have taken. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Sometimes you get people sandbagging till like the end of the round to try to get those sevens. But sometimes you know you can look at your hand and say this hand is absolute trash. I won't be taking any tricks, and you might want to try to take that one trick really quickly just to get that out of the way. A perfectly balanced middling deck is always the worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. That was awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's oh. bad in bridge, too. Yeah. yeah Trick-taking right. Trick <laughs> does not like the middle cards. Nope. Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> I have a two-point hand. Lovely. Oh, great. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know how you would value these hands. Like, <laughs> it would be insane yeah. to try to figure that out. <laughs> Be valuable but, in, in vitamins and minerals. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. That's right. In, in meat-free nutrients. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Las Vegan. Ed? This is a different trick-taking experience, and for that alone, it's worth taking a look at. However, it felt a bit too random and swingy, which may be very much on brand, but it left that cabbage taste just a little bit too sour. (laughs) So for me, I'll have to leave my cards on the table and bury it. Mikey? This slot machine thing put an interesting spin on the typical trick-taking game. (laughs) That was for you, Evan. Thank Uh, you. I'd suggest this to anybody who wants to mix up their trick-taking games a little bit. So I'd say dig it up. Evan. Las Vegan put a nice little twist on your typical trick-taking card game. It was fun to sabotage the cabbage machines with negative points (laughs) for your opponents. (laughs) Cabotage. This game is like any good cabbage. It should be dug up. (laughs) Cabotage. <laughs> <laughs> so which veggie would you bet on? Let us know. We are at Which Game First on all social media. Hey, everybody. We just want to take a minute to tell you what's up with Which Game First. Evan? Thursday nights is Which Game First night. We play live for you, 7 o'clock Eastern. A game that we've never played before. We're going to play it so you can watch us play it, fumble through it, hopefully enjoy it, and you get to comment. And we sometimes play, often, play trivia with you as well. So you're not only watching the action, you're taking place in it as well. Thursday nights, 7 o'clock, on all of our social media video channels. And also check out our Discord channel, where every other week we do our live recording for our bonus points for our patrons. Yeah, this is a patron-only live show that you can come and listen to while we're recording it, with all the foibles included, everything is there. And that's just for patrons. So if you want to become a patron of this show, you can go to our website and click on become a patron today. It's just $3 a month. There's a ton of back catalog bonus points for you to enjoy right now. Plus, you'll get access to our live show every other week. Thanks, everyone. And on with the show. Thanks, guys. Our next game up this week is Art Deco, designed by Tate Wu. Published by Rio Grande Games in 2021, number of players 2 to 4, ages 10 and up, 
playtime, 45 to 60 minutes. Ooh, Mikey, tell us what is in this very colorful and interesting box. The cover of the box puts several works of art from a variety of movements on display. Are they real masterpieces or worthless failures? I don't know. Let's look inside the box and find out. Inside, we find 70 painting cards, 25 gold cards, 10 museum bonus cards, 19 museum bonus tokens, a game board, a marketing rating track, 6 rating tokens, 4 player aid boards, 20 player rating trackers, 36 player markers, and 12 cost tokens. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game cleanses our palates, Evan, paint us a picture of the rules. Yes, I shall. Art Deco is a deck-building game in which players are art dealers collecting the most valuable painting cards. The cards, gold, and paintings both count as currencies in the game. Your long-term goal is to manipulate the market value of certain styles of artwork while also earning points by placing paintings in the museum. The starter deck is 10 cards. Five of them are paintings, and five of them are gold. And some of the cards have special abilities. Draw a hand of five cards, place painting cards in the community galleries, and place gold cards in the bank. Now, cards can also be used as currency to buy artwork, which will help with the market rating of that style of painting. And cards can also be used to pay for exhibition costs. Discard your unused cards, then fill up your hand for the next round. Now, there are several ways to trigger the end of the game, and when all the final values of the various types of art get locked in, including the value of gold, you combine those with any other random bonus victory points and declare the winner. And that person becomes the greatest art dealer since that guy who sent the artwork through the shredder while it was on display in the gallery. You guys remember that? <laughs> oh, I remember. That was pretty recent, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about Banksy. If you, if anybody wanted to know, thank you, thank you. Yes, no problem. <laughs> that guy, that, that guy, guy Banksy. You know, <laughs> I'm surprised you knew his name. I didn't oh. even know. Oh his yeah, name. I like art. Isn't Banksy all about a mystery person? Nobody yeah, knows who Banksy is. Eh, yes and no. I mean, I think some people do, but he's mysterious. I don't think like most people wouldn't be able to identify who he is. I think. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he does some avant-garde stuff you know really like a lot of graffiti type work to start off with but then he started doing like canvases and stuff and uh i don't know he's he's pretty cool modern artist if anybody wants to check him out so it looks like there's four styles of art in this game right art nouveau surrealism pop art and renaissance and impressionism five of them Uh uh-huh gotta have your impressionism Mm-hmm. I do impressed. impressionisms all the time, you know. Like Johnny Carson <laughs> used to do impressionisms, and yeah. So, in in looking into this game, actually, something really cool about the art, me and Ed found out. This game features fifteen pieces of original gallery quality art in five different genres. Sweet. So you had to have five different artists that are well versed in that style enough to mm-hmm. make it look like something that might be a real gallery art that's out there not an easy task no not no. at all and these uh pieces of art are beautiful so yes. did the beauty of the art on the cards add to the experience of trying to buy and sell these pieces it did i think it did Did it really what i'm asking i guess is did it bring you further into the game did it immerse you better did it inspire you 
Yeah, I would say that there were pieces that I wanted to buy more than others, not because of their strategic value in the game, but because of how cool they looked. It also made me want to put them on display, which is a thing you can do in the game. You pay a lot of money to get them into a gallery, which in the end also wasn't really worth the kind of points that you would get just by collecting them. So, yeah, I'd say that the game influenced me to make bad decisions. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, I would like to say we did play this game online, Board Game Arena. And this is one of the times I wish we had played it in person yeah. to actually have handled the card to handle the art. Because I used to, you know, collect baseball cards as a kid and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a totally I, I find it a, the tactile experience is totally different. Mm-hmm. So I, this is a game I, I want to hopefully play again. Spoiler <laughs> alert uh, in person using the actual game box yeah, and, cool. and components. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that I also helped you bring it in because. The art is in different styles, and even though I'm no art expert, I can tell that this was a different style than that other card, which mm-hmm. is a totally different style. They were distinct. There was no, there was no confusing it. Yep, and the frames around the art was the exact like color that that piece of art fit into, like what style it was. But mm-hmm. they were so well done that you didn't even really have to pay too much attention to the frame because you're like, oh yeah. That's pop art. That's you know. Right. You can identify. Well, everything was color coded, so I mean, right. there, the, the, there was that using it. But mm-hmm. you, you you could have either yeah. gone by the art certainly, but if you needed the color coding, that was there. Mm-hmm. It, it also has also a symbol ha- code, right? Yeah, they also had yes. iconography to help you out too. Right. Yeah, they weren't playing around. They wanted you to know exactly what you're getting into <laughs> <laughs> with each card for sure. Well, that makes sense. Well, I mean, yeah. because you have to you have to accommodate all levels of uh, people who would appreciate this game, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, not make it not make it a challenge for them, make it easier for them to appreciate. Right, the art. exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that a game that makes you make bad decisions <laughs> is a strong recommendation for a good theme. I I concur absolutely. Like I, I think if a game can, you know, balance itself not only by the numbers but but by the actual things that you want to do within the game, at weighing heavily on your decision, that's a well designed game in my opinion. Everybody starts off with very similar hands, you know, a little bit of gold and, you know, a couple of samples of art cards to go. And just like any deck builder, you have to go from there. It's like, okay, where am I going with this deck? I'm going to have to acquire cards and get rid of cards. And what do I get rid of first and what do I acquire? Mm-hmm. They give you lots of opportunities to fine-tune your deck by either selling your paintings out of it or using your coins like your actual gold cards to either buy better gold cards or to buy other paintings or even use them for their special abilities which they had at the bottom somebody's been buying a lot of money somebody i don't know who but somebody out there has a lot of cash money in their deck or it's about to go bananas soon yeah right bananas (laughs) almost that game ending territory the number's gonna go up from one to two each? Uh, oh, actually, it looks like yeah, it, it fluctuates. Ooh, it'd be better to keep it at yeah. one-to-one. Ah, oh, mm. interesting. There's like a sweet spot in the middle. Yeah, that, that's really enticing because the special ability is it's powerful, but it trashes the card, which right. we all know removes it from the deck. Yep. Ah. Did you guys feel strapped for cash at any point in the game? <laughs> I'm sure Mike did. <laughs> I did not feel strapped for cash at oh, all. No. That's okay. My whole deck was money. <laughs> I actually saw, instead of buying a lot of paintings, I was buying a lot of gold to, to get it to the point where when something did come up, like as a good opportunity, I could just snatch it up. Um, and by the end of the game, I had such a 
like a crazy engine, I could have just bought everything that was on the table. Unfortunately, I spent a lot of time displaying my art, which I kind of alluded to before, and those points there did not equal up nearly to what having paintings in your hand did, because the paintings, as they were purchased, increased in value because they became more rare to buy. Right. Yeah. So I, I went on the painting strategy, and that, and that one um, worked fairly well, because I used that as my currency, mm-hmm. because as the paintings got more valuable... I was like, hey, I got one of these. You know how good they are now, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yep, mm-hmm. and you hoarded them in your house. You never displayed them. <laughs> yeah, I did. A little but bit. I did buy bit. others to display. Right. Ed's private commission mm-hmm. gallery. <laughs> yep, yep. And it's an interesting push-pull there because you have to keep using the art in order to make it more valuable. Mm-hmm. Putting right. it on display does make it more valuable. Buying more of that brand makes it more valuable. So I had to watch what other players would do. Absolutely. Yep. No doubt about it. You have to watch what the other players have got. You don't want to push them over the over the top. Try to help your opponent too much by, oh, yeah, I want this price to go up. Oh, wait, Ed's got three of those. Mm-hmm. I better double think my strategy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought maybe one of the disadvantages that we had was of playing it online was that I wasn't really able to grasp how the values were changing and why, you know what I mean? It was kind of just automatically doing its thing. Yeah, I mean, I do appreciate Board Game Arena doing that work for you. It seemed like it had a lot of fiddly pieces too, Ed. So was it better organized, you think? On Board Game Arena, you can just say, hey, this is worth this. And it just shows you exactly Mm -hmm. what the value it is currently on the card. Now, it helps out a lot. But I think in the physical game, like Mikey was alluding to, you would see how the price goes up and you can see more of a connection how doing this made my card more valuable Mm -hmm. as opposed to being a black box. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Art Deco. Evan? Art Deco was a good-looking deck builder with a nice market value mechanic that drives much of the game. Now, a few things were not intuitive the first time around, but... Believe me, I'll be playing this again. Dig it up. Ed? Art Deco adds a nice twist to the deck building and provides an art trading game that feels different from the others I've played. I want to explore this work a little further, so I'll dig it up for my museum display. Mike? I really liked looking at the art here, and I love deck building. (laughs) Um, But because I was so confused as to the value of my actions, they felt a little bit less impactful the first time around. I'm definitely up for trying this again now that I have a little bit better of idea how it works. And for those reasons, I'll dig it up. Which style of art would you be bidding up the value on? Let us know. We are at Wish Game First on all social media. Our last game up this week is Sticky Fingers. Designed by Christian Fjord and Newt Hoppel. Published by Pegasus Spiel in 2009. Number of players 2 to 5, ages 8 and up. Playtime 20 to 30 minutes. Okay, Mikey, break open this box and tell us what's inside. The cover of the box shows either a happy thief reaching in through a broken window to steal a shimmering sapphire necklace or a very concerned citizen in a striped jumpsuit and a mask returning a beautiful piece of jewelry to its rightful owner. 
Perhaps we'll never know. <laughs> Inside the box, we find a game board, five scoundrel playing pieces, 15 scoundrel tokens, five scoundrel cards, 60 tool cards, 30 loot cards, 14 fence cards, a starting player card, and the rules in both English and German. And that's what's <laughs> in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game makes off with the goods, Evan, make with some rules. Sticky Fingers is a worker placement game in which the players are thieves. They're tick as thieves. They're skulking around <laughs> under the cover of darkness, stealing valuable goods, and then selling them to unsavory characters at the docks of the harbor. Sounds like a LARP. <laughs> each, play, each player has three scoundrel tokens. These are your workers. One at a time, a worker is placed at one of five locations. The city to receive tool cards. The villa to receive loot cards. The Ruin to swap tool cards, the Museum to receive loot cards, and the Harbor to sell the loot. Each of the five areas resolve in order. So first area first, which is the city tokens, and then it'll end with the Harbor tokens. And it's first come, first serve. Get your worker in there first because they're going to go first in that particular section. The first player to earn 20 or more gold wins. And the game designers would like for me to announce to you that the game is announced for release at Essenspiel 2009. For all you time travelers, <laughs> make sure you get there in time. Wow. Okay. <laughs> all right. So uh, this relatively old game mm -hmm. was played yeah. on what interface? You Yukata, baby. Spark. Yeah. The, huh? One of the first things I noticed on Yukata was the name was in both uh, English and in German. And right. the German word was Langfinger, which I believe means long finger. Long finger. <laughs> I, guess, I guess someone in, who's known to have long fingers in Germany would be a, a pickpocket. Yeah, yeah a really good pickpocket, yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I should have known it was on Yukata being that it's an old German game. <laughs> right. Yukata exactly. is an old <laughs> German site. Yeah. Love it. We still love it. And mm -hmm. this game is so old that there are no rule videos <laughs> no, no, at all. Not in, not in English. That's right. I guess no. we should make one. <laughs> I think we did because we played it live. That's true. And you can find it now at our YouTube channel, which came first. Go to YouTube. All right. So, guys, it seems like there's lots of different places to go mm -hmm. in this game uh, and get started in the and you work from each location to do different things. Was it confusing? Actually, I found it to be uh, nicely simplified. There's only five different locations. And what you can do with each location is fairly simple. Was it tough to get around? I mean, you get three cubes, you put them where you want. Yep. Place your worker, next player places their worker, next player places their worker, and you go three times around. Place all three of your workers in any spot you want, and then resolve each area in order. Area number one, area number two, and so forth. Is and there any... Th there's no... Uh, worker blocking in this game if somebody oh, else is there already. Oh, can, there is. Sort uh, of. <laughs> it's, it doesn't look like a block at first, but, uh, you know, there's only a couple different things to do at each location. So even if you just get there second, you could miss out on something uh, that you really needed. 
Mm-hmm. I find that I find that type of game so frustrating most of the time. <laughs> it can That's be. The, there's got to be some. Well, there has to be a little bit of risk in mm-hmm. placing your worker risk somewhere. Risk is it's one. Like, I'm happy. Hey, I could risk things all day long, but <laughs> give me the opportunity to risk them, please. Don't block my way. <laughs> yeah, I got blocked myself yeah. several times in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sat next to me. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah. I sat to your left. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> so, is, so you think seating makes a difference in this game? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yep. If you're, you should pay attention to what you think the person before you is going to do, so you don't, you know, count on that thing being something you want to do later. Um, and I thought it was pretty interesting the way they set up the actions that you could do because the first hang on, thing. Hang on. Can we talk about seating in games in general? Sure. When a game has this seat dependent effect when your gameplay is affected by where you're sitting at the table do you think that's a feature or a bug of a game well i think it's a common facet of a game and some designs take advantage of it and i i know for many of the games i play they actually have player order cards that you deal out to people so you can find out where you're gonna sit randomize your seating order because we tend to just plop down on whatever share where you used to sit in that. But here, yeah. it mixes up. Maybe Mikey's not always to my left. Now he's to my right, which makes it different. Uh-huh. Much different. I would love that. I'm not comfortable <laughs> with that. <laughs> no, because, <laughs> because if I have to change my seat at Evan's house, then I might stain another chair of his. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it would be unhappy. <laughs> and I'd have to bring the chair with me. That's all. Oh, that's, yeah. that's deep bonus points material right there. Yeah. Very deep. It is kind of cool in this game, the the order they set up the actions that you can take, because the first action allows you to get tools to do a heist. The second action allows you to do a heist, where you steal something valuable. The third action allows you to trade some of the tools that you have for other tools, so that it might help you to get the thing that you need to heist later. And the next one is another heist type of spot. And the very mm-hmm. last one is the fence, where you can sell all that stuff. Now, just keep in mind, you have three actions and there are five things you can do. So the likelihood that you'll get blocked from doing what you actually want is what, 60%? <laughs> it's pretty high. <laughs> no. The more players you get in there, too, the higher that percentage gets of and you being blocked. That's for sure. But there's more items out with more players. Yeah, but there'll be more right. items out, too. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. For the most part, like with the three players, there were three spots where we could get tools from, like so mm-hmm. everybody, if they all went to tools first, could each get a set of tools. But if I went there and then Ed went somewhere else and the next time around, I could take tools again. So he wouldn't be able to have a spot there. So it wasn't super restrictive, but mm-hmm. you definitely had to pay attention to what you were going to need in the future and act accordingly. Yeah. And like I was able to plan it out a little bit this one time. It's like, like I didn't need more tools. So instead of going for tools first, I went for the goods first. So I got first choice of the goodies. Mm-hmm. And uh, the goods determine what kind of price you can get for them on the docks. So mm. like each card and random cards keep coming up in the docks where they'll, if you have a safe that you robbed, they'll give you this kind of treasure, etc. So Celeste, how's this for risk? Mm-hmm. Since the docks is the number five position, it's the last thing that gets resolved. Mm-hmm. But sometimes... The options in the docks, there's some that are much better than others. 
Mm. You want to have a worker, you be the first one there to have control yeah. over the choice. But if you commit early to that spot, there's no guarantee you're going to either get the tools or the actual loot to mm -hmm. make it to that point, to the dock, to make the trade, to cash in the good points. Yeah. Why? So, so because, because you could be blocked by the other players who wound up taking the tool you needed before you or taking the goods mm -hmm. that you are looking to sell before you. So yep. I got to the location first, but Locked in. because I got to the location first, I sacrificed my going first space. Yes. For a in, tool that was somewhere else. So and, if okay, you so. love risk, that's the way to go. Lock in your dock <laughs> spot and then hope for the best in the rest of the area. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. how likely is it that someone's going to know what tool you're going for and take it? Like, is mm, there an opportunity question. to block it, people or is it just like, oh, you don't know what anybody else needs? Well, you can see what items there are available to be heighted and they show what tools are needed to height okay. them. Right. But you have a handful of tools which have hidden information in them, okay. and maybe you have the tools you need already, and they don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. If they paid attention to what tools you were picking up, they could figure it out and keep track of it, what stuff you have available to heist. But, you know, that that is a great way to stay engaged, but it's also easy to forget that sort of thing when you're trying to pay attention <laughs> to your own strategy. True. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. We're, we're getting to the end here. Ah. Uh. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, oh, snap. <laughs> you just saw that, Mike? <laughs> yeah, it just popped up. Wow. Oh, wait, it says heads up last oh, round. Oh, Ed's got 20. You chose it on the last Heads one. up last ah. round. So this is it. Is it? Oh, yeah. no, the game's over. over. That was over. <laughs> yeah, it said heads up last round, and it was over. <laughs> no. Wow, I finished the game with a solid eight points and four fensible treasures wow. sitting in my thing here. Yeah, you're just gathering them up, and it's like, Ah, I was gonna I'll, go. I'll yeah, go, I'll go fence him with a good way. Defense next Guys, turn. Guys, got some house cleaning fence, to do. Fence, fence. Yeah, house cleaning before we comment on the game. Yeah, I made the colossal mistake of sleeping on the fence. Which I mean, what I mean by that is, I accumulated a whole bunch of heisted stuff. And I thought I had a couple more turns left in the game, but Ed <laughs> shut it down before I could cash yeah. in on him. <laughs> well, this game is a bit about action economy, mm -hmm. and it's a race to the finish line. Well, I didn't expect to win on that last turn, but I went to the fence because I knew people were sleeping there and sleeping on it. So I had it available. So I went there, and then when it came around, I had the opportunity to go there again. So I did. So I visited the, the fence. Twice. I know. Cash, cash, oh. cha-ching. Cha-ching. Totally. That part of the problem there, too, is that when you cash in at the fence, it tells you how many cards you're going to draw for that, and the cards have money on them, but the mm. money is oh. random on the cards. So oh, right. a yeah. couple of times so I pulled suddenly, zeros. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. What did Ed pull? Out yeah, oh, I got robbed. Seven or something, and <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. just sped over the finish line and left a trail of fire behind. Oh that yeah! Don't you guys think that Ed? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just some psych psychology because Ed is always so upbeat and optimistic that it always seems like things go his way. But doesn't he seem to have an inordinate <laughs> amount of luck when it comes to picking stuff? Oh, randomly, man. I feel that way for sure. <laughs> I'm not sure Ed would call it luck. I think he would call it. The sixth sense oh. of, gaming. <laughs> right, right. of gaming. Yeah. Uh, like, as I said, I, did, I thought I was going to catch up to Evan because Evan was ahead at this point. And I had me a comfortable and lead. Both behind. Oh, Evan was like way ahead of us at this point. Yeah. Like, I need to go to the, the fence and unload the stuff. And there were two cards there that gave me plus two Ugh. in my value. So 
Now, Evan being, I think it was eight points ahead of me at the time. Like, okay, I got a three card value plus two, another three card value plus two. That's five points. Oh boy, did that enough to catch up to him? And <laughs> yeah. Him ahead? Yes, yep. it was. And yes, meanwhile, I'm back here pulling a zero and a one in the same turn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm cashing in. This is a double treasure unload. I got all this stuff to cash in, and I pull, and and it doesn't even show you the cards that you pulled for the money. It just adds to your score and i looked up i'm like wait a minute i just scored and i'm like oh that's two more points than i had before fantastic yeah one of them was a plus one i'm like what happened (laughs) it was painful okay explorers it's time to dig up or bury long finger or sticky fingers Mm -hmm. mike the visuals were really colorful and cute, even for an older game, and I liked how lighthearted the theme was. Um, there was a little more to it than meets the eye, I think, and I appreciated that, so I have to dig this up. Ed? Sticky Fingers has a good amount of competitive worker placement decisions without being overwhelming, and it's easy to pick up. While I tend to look for a little more substance, this works well for a 30-minute game, so I'll crack that safe open and dig her up one more time. Evan? Sticky Fingers is a very good entry-level type of worker placement game. It plays very easily. There's not too many decisions, not overwhelming, relatively fast-paced for a worker placement game. And it's worth stealing from your neighbor, frankly, so heist it up. <laughs> Did you take that space because it's what you needed? Or was it because you knew I wanted that space? <laughs> Let us know. We are at Wish Game First on all social media. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. Come and talk to us anywhere on social media. Give us a shout out. If you get a chance, guys, please, please leave us a like, a rating, or a review preferably on your podcatcher, wherever you're listening to us as podcasts, because it helps other people who are browsing for a new podcast find our show. And happy gaming, explorers. Stop, thief! Oh, wait, that's a different game. You have to check out this work over here. It's a new painting by an upcoming artist that everybody will be talking about next week. He scares me. Look at the length of his fingers. (laughs) So long. So So long and skinny. (laughs) 